Good morning. My name is Tim. I'm doing the second Bible reading this morning. And it's taken from the uh, book of Exodus, chapter 9, verse 13 and to 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the heavens, says. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your official and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose that I may show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. You still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen in Egypt from the day it was found till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter, because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who fear the word of the Lord hurry to bring their slaves and their livestock inside, but those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand towards the sky so that hail will fall all, all over Egypt on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff towards the sky, the Lord sent thunders and hail and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in all land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the field, both people and animal. It beat down everything growing in the field and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to God, for we have enough thunders and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, When I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hand in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there will be no more hail, so you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officers still do not fear the Lord. The flax and the barley were destroyed since the barley had had and the flax was in bloom. That wheat and spell, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hand towards the Lord. The thunder and the hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. 
When Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his official hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelite go, just as the Lord has said through Moses. These are the inspired, infallible, and the inerrant word of God. Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Pete, one of the elders here. And uh, we're coming this morning to a wonderful part of God's Word. And as John said uh, earlier, a very big part of God's Word, five whole chapters. And so while I get myself organised, what I'd love you to do is kind of get ourselves ready for this large part of God's Word. Turn to one or two people around about you and see how many of the plagues you can name between you. Okay, extra points if you get them in order. And basically this is just like kids work homework. Kids, kids talk homework, right? Celine's already told you what they are. Two or three round about you, ten plagues. See how many you get. See if you can get them in order. Your time starts now. I'll get your attention back again. I should say too, this is an open book exam. Uh, so um, by all means, grab one of those Bibles in front of you. That'll be very helpful today. We're going to put lots of those verses on the screen today because we're going to be jumping around some big sections. A bit unusual, a bit different to what we usually do. But you'd be really helped, I think, if you were moving in the Bible and looking at those verses as we go. But for now, let me pray and let's hear God's word together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that your word is written for us to know you in Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, this morning, that's what would happen. We would know you better. Pray we would tremble before you. We pray we would rejoice to know you. We pray we would delight in the salvation you have won for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, I don't know what it was like uh, in the, where you came from, but uh, in the schools where I grew up in, uh, there was one word that had the power to bring the whole school together. Right? One word that could gather every kid from every corner into one place, one crowd. What was that word? It was fight. I don't know if your schools were anything like mine. In some ways, I hope they weren't. And my kids, by the way, tell me that things have changed a bit since the wild old 80s when I was going to school. But where I came from, if you wanted to gather a crowd, all you had to do was to start the chant. Fight, 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 fight. Now, I should say for the record, I was never, ever part of any of those fights. Um, which is probably just as well. I'm pretty sure a fight with me would only have two hits, them hitting me, me hitting the ground. But anyway, that's how it was where I was from. That was the chant to gather the crowd. Fight, 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 fight. And as we come to our Bibles this morning, I want to say to you, that's the chant we hear. That's the title our Bibles should have for the verses we'll be reading this morning. Why? Well, it's because if we open our Bibles this morning, we come, if you like, to the, the punch time at lunchtime, uh, the showdown in the playground. We, we come to the Old Testament's 10-round title fight. And if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you'll know this fight's been coming for a while. In fact, from the very first page of Exodus, those, the battle lines were drawn, do you remember? All the ingredients were there, from the bully pharaoh, to the victim, Israel, 
to the kind of unlikely fighters in Moses and Aaron and, and most important of all, to the, the God who saw and remembered and who fights for his people. Last week in chapter 5, do you remember, uh, at last our combatants came together. Chapter 5, verse 1, coming up on the screen, 5, verse 1. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go. I don't know about you, but I like to imagine this moment like a a fight announcer. Coming to the center of the ring. Holding the mic. Declaring aloud, in the red corner, weighing in at 480 pounds, the ruler of Egypt, the oppressor of God's people, the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. If you felt slightly embarrassed as you listen to that, um, fair thought for me. And then, and then perhaps the crowd boos and the announcer goes on. And in the blue corner, weighing in, Not very much. Two old men and a stick. See, to everyone watching this, this must have seemed like the most horribly mismatched fight between the all-powerful king of Egypt and two old men and a stick. And so not surprisingly, verse 2, do you remember again last week, Pharaoh wasn't afraid. Not of them. And even more important, not of their God. Verse 2, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him, let Israel go? I, I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. You know, I'll never forget talking once with a friend who I shared an office with for a, for a couple of years, and we were talking about God's right to rule. In particular, his right to rule him and me. And I'll never forget what my friend said. Do you know what he said, word for word? Who does he think he is? Isn't that wonderfully honest? Who does he think he is? I don't know about you, I think that's not a bad summary of Pharaoh, don't you think? Who does he think he is? I don't know your God. I'm the all-powerful Pharaoh. Who on earth is the Lord? And that's what God will very soon show him, do you see? That's what he'll show to us. That, That, if you like, is the point of this title fight. It's the answer to Pharaoh's question. Who is the ruling Lord. And what is that Lord like? It was just as it said in our first reading. Did you hear it in our first reading from chapter 7, verse 4? Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, mighty acts of judgment. I'll bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. In fact, that's actually exactly what God said to his very own people last week. Last week, chapter 6, verse 7. You remember last week? Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, 
who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. You see, it's the consistent teaching of the Bible that right at the heart of why God acts, whether in creation, judgment, salvation, whether in rescue for some, retribution for others, is that all will know. Whether friend or foe, he alone is the Lord. Sounds to me like Philippians chapter 2, don't you think? The song we just sang not long ago. As it speaks of the final day when everyone will stand before Christ. Do you remember? At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. All will know that he is Lord whether in joyful worship or on terrified knees. And that's what Pharaoh's about to learn, do you see? Uh, through these two-week servants and God's powerful word, a powerful word that will bring ten plagues to make God known to the world. And, and here are those plagues. How did you go when you were naming them? Did you get ten, nine, eight? Across in the rows, the blood... In the Nile, the frogs, the gnats, although slightly less terrifying than the kids' talk gnat that we saw on the screen before. Flies, the death of the livestock, the boils, the hail, the locusts, the darkness, and then that awful, needless death of every firstborn son. And so we come to the passage, and the plagues come, and the battle begins. And Pharaoh's question is answered Who is the Lord? Answer He is. He is the Lord who has no rival. See, the first three plays begin, that's the thing we're supposed to see, that nothing, no one, nowhere is a match for him. Not in power and judgment, not in love and mercy, no one is a match for the Lord. It's by, by, by the way, those particular plagues were chosen. See, I wonder if you wondered, why those particular plagues? Why didn't God just make Moses fly? That would show he was God. Why not just make Moses turn a mountain upside down? Look, he really is the Lord. God could do it. Why not that? Why? Well, because those particular plagues were particularly chosen because they represented the rival gods. See, the scholars tell us that the Egyptians had a whole list of gods they worshipped. Uh, gods like the Nile God and uh, the God of the sun and, and frog gods and fly gods and gods depicted as livestock and snakes. And so you see, in these plagues, God will prove that even these so-called gods are no match for him. Not that at first it seems like that. I mean, at first, it, it seems uncertain. It was just as we heard back in, in chapter 7, in that first reading, chapter 7, as Moses and Aaron first confront Pharaoh and the fight seems kind of evenly poised. Did you hear it? Chapter 7, verse 10. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. This is verse 10. Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials became a snake. But 
Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. See, at first it seems the fight is evenly poised. And then it happens again with the Nile and the blood. It happens again with the plague of the frogs. And so verse 21, chapter 7, verse 21, the fish in the Nile died. The river smelt so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Same as the plague with the frogs, chapter 8, verse 6, chapter 8, verse 6. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt. Frogs came up, covered the land, but the magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. They also made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Now, I've got to say, and I don't know about you, I find it hard to imagine how that was helpful to Pharaoh's cause. I can't imagine Pharaoh was all that pleased when in a plague of frogs, the magicians turn to him and say, look, Pharaoh, we can make them too. You know, can't stop them, apparently. It might have been better. But they can make them. And so, do you, do you see, it seems like Pharaoh is still in the fight. And I think that's how it's supposed to seem. We're supposed to wonder, what's going on? Who will win this fight? And the answer to that comes in the very next plague, even from the lips of the Pharaoh's magicians themselves. Chapter 8, verse 17. Chapter 8, verse 17. When Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground, gnats came up upon men and animals. All the dust throughout the land of Egypt became gnats. But when the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, they could not. And the gnats were on men and animals. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. You know, one summer, uh, years and years ago, when Eric and I lived in Wollongong, uh, the block of units we lived in was infested with bird lice. Um, one day we started noticing all these itchy spots all over us, and at that time, all over our baby, we wondered what they were. And then we noticed this pattern on the wall. And on a closer inspection, the pattern shifted and moved. And on a closer look again, we discovered that pattern was thousands of lice all over the walls and all over us. And you know, even as I wrote this down in preparation today, I kind of started feeling itchy again behind my... <laughs> and that's just a hint of what hit the Egyptians. Right, the, the plague that finally proved they were out of their league. That decisively showed there are no rivals from God. It's just as God himself will say later in that second reading of ours, chapter 9, I wonder if you heard it, he says this, There is no one like me in all the earth. And the question I think this passage forces us to ask is, do we believe it? Like truly, really believe it. Not just theoretically, practically. 
right, in those daily decisions of life. And not just in here, but even out there, right, at school, at work, at home. In a world that seems as strong as Pharaoh and just as opposed to God. Do we really believe there is no one like him? He is the Lord without rival. And even more important than out there, can I ask, what about in here? With those rival desires, ambitions and fears that call us to look to them. That call us to listen and live for them even more than our God. You know, I had a great conversation recently with a student on campus uh, and she raised the idea of rivals, in particular the rival of others' approval. She said, whose rejection do we fear most? Whose approval do we want most? When push comes to shove, whose opinion of us matters most to us? Because whoever that is, she said, that right there is your God. And not about you, but I was thinking, how insightful, right, this young uni girl. And I was thinking, how challenging from this young uni girl. Whether offline or online, whether in the workplace or this place, whether friend at school or loved one at home, Who is that person for me, I thought? Who is that person for you? Whose opinion of us matters most to us, who really is my God? You see, because that that should be the Lord, Exodus says. I mean, he is the Lord, Exodus says. He is the Lord without rival. And he is the Lord who protects his people. He's the Lord who protects his people. Now, on one hand, of course, that's the goal of all the plagues, right? They're to make God known, yes, but they're to make him know as he, as he saves his people. He's, he's kind of final protective rescue. But see, even before that final rescue comes, right throughout the plague, God is protecting his people. Did you see it? See, as the plague goes on, God makes clear that only among his people can any be safe from judgment. God especially protects his people when the judgment on Pharaoh falls. And so as the plague of flies comes, what does God say in Exodus chapter 8, verse 22? But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen, where my people live. No swarm of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. Or again with the livestock, uh, chapter 9, verse 4. Chapter 9, verse 4. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. And then it's the same with the boils, and it's the same with the hail. As we just had read for us, chapter 9, verse 26. 9, 26. The only place it did not hail was in the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. I don't know about you, but um, as I was reading this, it reminded me of Psalm 2, 
Uh, the end of Psalm 2, do you remember it? Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. You see, the only way to be safe from God's anger is to find your refuge in him. The only way to be safe from God's judgment is to kiss and trust the Son. Why? Well, it's because it's only over those who do that if you like, his great umbrella is raised. The umbrella of Christ that shields from judgment all who shelter within. And the amazing thing is that even back then, even the Egyptians knew it. Did you see? Chapter 9, verse 20. As God threatens that plague of hail, verse 20, those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But, but those who ignored the word of the Lord Well, they left their slaves and livestock in the field when the awful plague of hail came down. We were reading this um, passage in our growth group on Wednesday. As part of the growth group, we asked one another um, of the comfort this passage brings to us. What what comfort do you get from these verses, we asked? what, what, What joy does it give to your heart? And do you know what one in the group said? It's the comfort of being among God's people. The, the comfort of shelter in Christ. I mean, I should be out there, exposed to the plagues, and yet look where he's brought me. Look what he's done, despite what I deserve. How did John put it? John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Because we have shelter in him. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. For God's wrath remains on him. And can I say to us in the room, what a warning that is if we are here today and haven't yet sheltered in Christ. And what a comfort that is to know his protection if we already are. You see, who is the Lord, Pharaoh asked. Exodus says, he is. He's the Lord who has no rival. He's the Lord who protects his people. And he's the Lord who does it with awful judgment and amazing mercy. You see, as the final plagues begin, the emphasis shifts and the point is made about just how awful the plagues are. And so with the plague of hail, as we heard, chapter 9, verse 24, it was the worst storm in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Or with the locusts in chapter 10, they invaded all Egypt, settled down in every area of the country in great numbers. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. And so with the darkness... The ninth plague, it was a darkness that could be felt. And then especially and mostly that very last plague that would kill every firstborn son. 
See it in chapter 11, verse 4. This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who's at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. And there will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than there has ever been or will be again. And I wonder, can you even begin to imagine how awful that would be? In fact, let's try now. Can I ask right now that every firstborn male in the room please raise up one of your hands? I'm a firstborn male. Firstborn males, raise them high. And then the rest of us look around the room. And then imagine the hands up in creche and imagine the hands up in kids church and imagine the hands up tonight in our evening service and that is just one church imagine that for a whole country can you imagine how awful that was And then can you believe, according to the Bible, that's not even close to how awful it will be when Jesus Christ returns for those who are rejecting him. And then more amazing still, that's not even close to what Jesus faced for us so that we wouldn't have to. And actually, even in this story of the Egyptians and the Exodus, they didn't have to either. Did you notice? It didn't have to be that way for them. Like, it doesn't have to be that way for us. Like, like the doctor who warns you have to stop. If you keep going, this will kill you. Like the emergency walker with hands up raised, stop now. The bridge is out. That's what God's done again and again right throughout these plagues. Before each comes, he gives the warning. There is still time to repent. Even the plagues themselves, they are a warning. There is still time to repent. After all, can I ask you, have you ever wondered why ten plagues? Why ten, not just one? And then why keep warning before they come? It's to show God's power, yes, It's to make God known, yes. But it's also in particularly to show him like this, the wonderful God of mercy. It's a bit like that parent who threatens to punish. Have you ever seen the one? You know, they come to the kid, you've got till three. Then time's up. Then what do they do next? One. Two, two and a half, two and three quarters. That's right, two and seven eighths. I'm getting trouble. 
And that's what God does here, do you see? Even with awful Pharaoh. And even when the plagues do come, did you see it in that reading from chapter 9? He keeps on kind of holding back, keeps on showing them mercy. And then he hears their pleas, even though they don't mean it. And he stops each plague before it wipes them out. And then he warns again and again and again. Why? Well, because that's who our God is. That's what our God does. That's what the plagues are about. It's so that Pharaoh would know and the Israelites would know and the world would know and we would know. This Lord has no rival. This Lord protects his people with awful judgment and amazing mercy. And brothers and sisters, this is the Lord who makes himself known in the person and work of Christ. That one who would come to fight for us against sin and death and the devil that one who would come to face God's judgment as he died for us on the cross the one who would come to actually bear these plagues so that we wouldn't have to bear them the the one who came to make God known and to set us his people free See, Pharaoh said, do you remember Exodus chapter 5, verse 2? Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let his people go? And what does the Bible say? It says his name is Jesus. He is the Lord. The one who came to set his people free. Can I say, brothers and sisters, what a joy it is to know this wonderful Lord. And what an honour it is to live our lives for him. Let's pray about that now. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you. These hundreds and even thousands of years ago for preparing the way for Jesus. For showing yourself as the Lord who has no rival. The Lord who protects your people with awful judgment, amazing mercy. We thank you, Father, we see these things fulfilled in Christ. We thank you for his fighting for us. We thank you for his death for us, for bearing your wrath that we might find shelter in him. We pray, our Father, every single one of us in this room would. And we pray we would rejoice how wonderful it is to know such a wonderful Savior in Jesus. And we would therefore live our lives for him. I pray all this for Jesus' sake. Amen.